that makes it all magical and makes it all work. I'm cracking open a cold one. Man, oh, that stuff is nice. That's the it's sort of made like club soda with just a little hint of the flavor in it. That's right. This is the President's Choice Blue Menu Mandarin Orange Sparkling Water. So when I say crack open a cold one, given that it's early in the morning, this is what I'm cracking open. So I fake the same kind of thing, but I do it using a soda stream and my own little laboratory of flavors. Well, you know, I actually have considered the soda stream thing. Um, oh, is, is this the part where I say, hi, Evan? It depends. All right, let's try it. Hi, Evan. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. You can't win that game. Tic-tac-toe. Hi, Marcel. How much do you think everybody wants to hear about how we do our fizzy water? <laughs> well, why don't you start by telling me about your soda stream experience? Because I have actually considered that as a possibility, but I keep buying the canned stuff. Now, I feel mildly guilty about the canned stuff because, of course, well, first of all, it means that I'm, you know, throwing a whole pile of cans into recycling. But tell me about your fizzy water experience. Well, the good news about what you're doing is that the aluminum cans are probably the only thing that's left to recycle that can make a profit for the municipality anymore. All right. So I'm actually helping. Paper and plastic, and that's still more grief to, to, to get rid of than they're going to make by selling it. Aluminum cans, that's stuff they can still make a profit off of. All right. So I'm helping. I'm, I'm actually, I, I see, I was feeling guilty about the environmental cost. And now you've just, uh, you just told me that I'm actually helping my community by using aluminum cans. Okay, let's let's not push it. It's the least <laughs> bad recyclable thing, but that's about it. All right, fine. All right. Now t t tell me what you so do. The soda then. stream. Okay. So a soda stream. I've heard about these things. I'm sure at this point a lot of people know a soda stream is a little gizmo that sits on your sink that is everyone's little personal CO2 injector. So you fill up a bottle of water, put it in your soda stream, press down on a few uh, press down a few times and you've injected enough CO2 into the water to give you uh, club soda or seltzer or whatever you want to call it. At that point, then you're on your own to add what you want to. So traditionally, the, the biggest problem I did have with SodaStream is if all you want is the soda water, well, then that's fine. But what if you wanted to duplicate, uh, you know, your cola or your 7-Up or your whatever? And so there's a couple of paths to that, one of which is uh, SodaStream sells its own flavors. You buy a, a little jar of stuff and, and you add some to your bottle and, and, uh, and that's fine. But that stuff, A, is very expensive. You know, you, you basically get rid of the whole cost advantage of going to SodaStream as opposed to buying Coke or whatever. Uh, and also, uh, it's not the same formula, right? So if you like their cola, if you like their orange, you like their whatever. Of course, uh, of course. But that's, that's, I mean, I would expect that to be the case. I expect that to be the case when I buy a different flavor of soda water. So, But, but. I go a slightly different route. I have a tiny little Frankenstein lab in my kitchen. Where <laughs> I, exactly. Where I, where, where I essentially have a whole bunch of flavors in little bottles that I add to it. Uh, and it's concentrated flavors. And I have a splend liquid Splenda, so I can make my own diet soda. So I can take any of these flavors and make it diet, which isn't easy to do. So I'll give you an example. One of my favorite carbonated drinks is Jamaican ginger beer, which is way stronger than conventional ginger ale. So if I want ginger beer, I take my little concentrated ginger beer. I put in a couple of drops of that into my uh, into my uh into my glass of, of uh, soda water, and then I add my liquid, my liquid Splenda. And so I now have diet ginger beer, which does not exist anywhere else on earth as far as I know. Right. So about once a year, I place an order from this place just north of Toronto, and they have thousands of different flavors, concentrated flavors in little bottles anything you could possibly want as a flavor, including some really weird ones. So if you wanted caramel or you wanted mint or you wanted whatever, their biggest 
their biggest target audience are e-cigarette uh, stores. <laughs> so if people wanted to put a flavor into their e-cigarettes, they also buy these same concentrated flavors. So you're not you're not like pouring nicotine into your into your uh, soda water here. No. However, you can buy liquid caffeine if you still uh, wanted that dick. So you well. could, if you wanted, like you added sweetener, you could also add uh, artificial caffeine. So if you wanted to just, so you could just have like carbonated, as in just plain old soda water, but caffeinated soda water. That's possible. Wow. That's possible. And you can, and the nice thing about this is that you can change the strength. So if you want to, you can have a super Red Bull infused whatever flavor you like, or you can have it caffeine free. You're to, you're in total control. That's what I mean by this Frankenstein lab. You can right. change these combinations: how much flavor, how much sweet, how much caffeine, and you can experiment with this. So okay. the, no. the two flavors that I have the most of mm -hmm. are I have ginger beer. I have raspberry and, um, and sorry, that's three. I have ginger beer, raspberry, and mojito, which is a combination of lime and mint. Okay. So now I have, I, now I have to ask, an, I have to ask a question here. Okay. I, I appreciate your, your attempts at being a mad scientist. I respect mad scientists. I have a, I have a, I have a great deal of admiration for mad scientists, but here's I'm the big question. Scientist. I'm actually kind of happy these days. <laughs> But anyway, uh, see, I'll give you a second one even. Anyway, here's the thing. The big question is how much? Like I went and took a look at these things and as near as I could tell, it was going to take me like four years or something insane like that to recoup my investment in this crazy machine and, and bizarro system when, you know, I can just go out and buy a case of, you know, a couple of cases of 12 of these things on a weekly basis. And I don't really feel that like it, it seems like an awful lot of upfront and it seems like it takes an awfully long time to get anything out of it. Okay. So you, so you're absolutely right that it's very easy to spend as much on a soda stream as you would of regular soda. Uh, there's a couple, there's a couple of factors here. Number one, you're not carrying as much heavyweight stuff back and forth from the supermarket. I have everything really? delivered these days. <laughs> okay. So uh, again, that's how you mitigate it. If somebody else is doing the heavy lifting for you, that's one factor. If you're carrying your own bottles, something else. But there's a couple of other factors. Number one, you don't use the official soda stream flavors and instead you can do your own. So one of the things that I've also found is if you have access to a nearby restaurant or something like that, you have, you have the ability to get official syrup from Coca-Cola or Pepsi or whoever. And so I'm sure Coke and Pepsi don't like retail distribution of their syrup. In fact, I know they don't want that. But if you know the right people, you can have access to getting Coke and Pepsi syrup, in which case you have the sparkling water you have the syrup, you can essentially make your exact same copy of the same thing. So that's another thing. Or you can go my Frankenstein lab route. Or if you're kind of doing the same kind of thing like what you're doing, right? You like having the sparkling water that's mandarin orange flavor, right? It's yeah, not just, light, just, just a slight light flavor. That's it. Right. And so what you're doing with that, it's literally the soda water plus a few drops of the flavor. And that's, that's right. it, right? The cost to do that is next to nothing. So once a year, I place an order from my little flavor store that stocks thousands of these different flavors. They ship it to me. I have my year supply. Um, and the last factor is uh, where you get the canisters of the carbon dioxide. Right, right, right. That's right. the other thing that. So um, here, here's the thing. If you just go the route that they want you to, you keep buying new canisters and you get to you get to trade your old one back in. Right. Right. And so it ends the, the net cost of it is something like $20 per full canister. It's like $30 or something like that, less the trade-in or whatever. And, and how long does that last you? Like, um, That's totally based on how much you go through. Uh, okay. And so Fair enough. Uh, I've, I've never actually, I should, I've never actually counted how many glasses of soda I'll get right. out of a cartridge. But then again, there's nothing, there's nothing magical about the carbon dioxide. 
anywhere where you can go to a place that can refill CO2 canisters is capable of doing this. So for instance, if you're near a store that sells paintball accessories, <laughs> anyone that's, that's working with paintball guns has to use CO2 has to use CO2 in order to do that. And they have refill facilities for the canisters for the for the paintball guns. Right. So you can go to a paintball place and say, can you refill my soda stream? Technically, you're not supposed to, but there's nothing preventing you from, from doing it. There's nothing special about it. The soda stream canisters are designed in such a way that they won't work in any other standard, in any other standard situation. So there's a patented connector. But you can take off that connector, somebody can fill it with CO2, and you're good to go. And so I have this little place in the northwest of Toronto, and they will they sell me, they, they will refill my canisters at less than half the price that I would if I was doing retail. So if someone's really, really aggressive about wanting to keeping the cost down of their soda stream, it's possible to do it. And so there's a couple of techniques. So for instance, I have three canisters on the go. So in other words, when I go to refill them, I refill them three time, three, three canisters at a time, which justifies my travel costs to the refill place. So if you're being really, really aggressive on pricing, you can, but that's not the reason I like it. I like it because I can do my little flavor lab. Right. And I can right. do my mojito and I can do my diet Jamaican ginger beer and I can do all my stupid stuff like that. And if you want to add in enough caffeine to make a, a, a Red Bull fall over, then you can do that too. Yeah, I'm starting to think it, 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 there's a part of me that likes the whole, you know, doing all this stuff yourself. I mean, I like, for instance, I like cooking. I like spending time in the kitchen making stuff. But I don't know, this is starting to seem like just too much work. I mean, I have the, the reason that I even have considered this is the idea that, you know, my, my so-called environmental footprint on this stuff would be less. And I love actually drinking this fizzy well, stuff. But come on, but, any DIY, any do-it-yourself stuff looks like too much work to somebody that's not really <laughs> interested in it. I look at DIY stuff on TV all the time and I, I refer to it as renovation porn uh, because <laughs> you know, you're seeing them do all, you know, they're knocking down walls and they're adding in marble and they're doing all that. You're never gonna do it yourself. It's you know great what? to watch somebody else. I'm gonna it. bet. I'm going to bet right now that there's a subreddit r slash renovation porn. I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to bet that there is. <laughs> well, just, okay. Just like there's food porn, right? If there is. Shows, if you think of shows like Iron Chef, they're doing all these wonderful things to food, all these magical concoctions or whatever. You and I are never going to do that stuff. We're not going to go to the local store and get fresh squid. Um, you know, and, and not that I'd want to, but that's a different story. Uh, but the point is, they're doing all this stuff with ingredients and staff and things like that or whatever. You and I are never going to do that kind of thing. It's fun to watch other people make that stuff. But I'd say right now, about at least half the cooking shows that you're going to find on television or online are stuff that you're having fun watching somebody else do it, and it looks great. And you think, one day I'm going to do that, and you never do. All right. You know what? We should move on, but I'll just tell you right now that I just I just uh, put r slash reddit.com slash r slash renovation porn. And you know what? I am wrong. Apparently, there is no r slash renovation porn. Well, okay. Fuck. Do a bit of abbreviation. Is there reno porn? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I. All right. We'll, we'll try one more thing here. I'll try reno porn and see if that happens. Oh, oh, oh wait a minute. There is a renovation porn. It just did... It just had trouble loading. It was a, there was a temporary glitch in the matrix. So, <laughs> well, actually, bringing up Reddit is a really nice little segue. Oh, so it is. So it is. You know, it's funny. Deliberate? We had like all these things that, like, we had all these things. We thought, oh, well, we got like tons of things to talk about for the next show, and this one has basically taken over. Um, as in, this is what everybody is talking about at the moment, and that would be GameStop. Do you want to be the guy that explains what's happening on GameStop? Okay. So, first I of all, everybody has to know that GameStop this. is a brick and mortar place that is basically barely hanging on for its life here. Okay. So, before I say anything, I have to add on the same disclaimer that any video I've ever seen about this issue is going to say. 
anyone that takes financial advice from Marcel or me or this podcast is an idiot. So take that as it may, and let's proceed from here. Uh, I agree that, that you're an idiot if you take financial advice from either of us. Okay, now we can move on. All right. So GameStop is this chain of stores where people would go to buy games. Or trade games. Or trade games. And they were doing very well until all the platform companies decided they were going to make it so you would download the games from the internet or stream them or whatever. Cloud gaming. Thank you. <laughs> um, and so the idea being is if you had to buy a game on, on physical media, this was your place to go. But the need for this has dwindled as more people have been able to use, to use online ways to get it. The console makers are quite happy to shut out the retail environment. It's, they don't have anything in the middle between them and the end users, and they pocket what might have been the retail cut. So GameStop has been struggling. They've had to find new ways to, uh, to revitalize their business, but they have, they are, they're not in good shape. They've been closing stores. And, and then, so, of, course, of course, their stock has been dropping accordingly as well. And had you wanted to buy some stock in GameStop up till maybe a couple of months ago, you would have gotten yourself a bit of a bargain. Why is it a bargain? Let's sit tight. What happened was, is there's hedge funds and financial organizations on Wall Street that did what's called short selling. Short selling, and without going too deep into the detail, is you're betting a stock is going to fall in price. And so short selling is a way to uh, obtain stock in such a way that if it goes down in price, you make money. If it goes up in price, you lose money. Now, what, what people should understand is that you're sort of you're sort of lending out your stock, so to speak, for a short period of time, whatever it is, with no, an agreement that you will buy it back. You're bar yeah, you're borrowing it. Yes, you're that's borrowing right. Stock. Yeah, and you're going to pay for it in a couple of days or whatever. Right. So in other words, if it goes down in price, then you sell it back at a reduced price and you've made a lot of money. If it goes up in price, then you have to spend more money to get it back after this period of time. And you have to get it back. That's the rule. Right. So here's what happens. You've had a couple of uh, hedge funds, and I'm not even going to bother getting into the details of what they are. Uh, you have a bunch of Wall Street organizations that put huge amount of short selling on GameStop. And so what happened was they caught wind of this. So there's a couple of companies that are way, way leveraged, lots of lots of, of sell orders on a couple of companies. And GameStop was at the head of the line. And so this Reddit group basically decided, and I don't think there's any leader of it or whatever. It's just this kind of mob mentality that said, okay, let's, let's, let's send up these, these firms. Let's buy GameStop, increase the price, and screw over these Wall Street hedge funds. And that's exactly what they did. Yeah. Now, this... this subreddit by the way is r slash uh wall street watch i think it is wall street watch and there are like two and a half million redditors on this thing and so but so amongst them of uh, some sizable proportion of it said i'm going to buy stock in gamestop and maybe some of them will buy at the beginning of this boom as the price was going up and they could sell off and they could make their money just like anyone else playing this casino game. But in the, in what they also did was they had a side effect of playing the stock market up and down or whatever, sell, win, lose, win, whatever. But in the, in the scheme of things, they rocketed the price up of GameStop over these couple of weeks. And so when the hedge funds had to finally pay up, they lost something like two and change billion dollars because oh, of well and in some case in some cases like this two and change billion dollars in some cases is just one company and okay. and yeah no there's one particular company called yeah. melvin. and so melvin lost i think upwards of two billion dollars to the point where they had to sell off a whole bunch of other holdings just to keep the company afloat yep 
And so now the financial community has even created a verb. You've been melvined if, <laughs> if somebody else goes through the same thing. And so um, there's a financial network in the U.S. called CNBC, and they are losing their minds over this. Yes. And, and well, so depending on who you talk to, this is either an affront to humanity or a really nifty way for these little retail investors to stick it to these big financial hedge funds. You know, I think that that's really what it comes down. I mean, if I look at it this way, obviously this is a relatively complex sort of thing. And you had a bunch of people who, I actually do think that it was, you know, willing to stick it to the man. Because if you take a look at the subreddit at all, there's definitely a component of that in there. I mean, they're not like stupid people. They had an idea of what it is that they were up to. Hedge fund, like hedge funds and short sellings and stuff like that is, is, you know, morally questionable at best. And in fact, I reposted something that I love saying on Twitter this morning, which was something along the lines of the stock market is not reality. It's not even a reflection of reality. At best, it's a quasi legal gaming den. And like any successful gaming den, the house always wins or almost always wins. In this case, the house are rich corporations and, you know, and, and billionaires or rich individuals or whatever. The system is gamed for them, not for small investors. It has never been gamed for small investors. So That's what's happened at this case is the turnaround now is fair play. All of a sudden, the small investors have figured out how to game the system by virtue of the fact that two and a half million of them are online on this same group and decided to have a little fun with these uh, with these hedge funds. And I love the idea. Now, I'm I'm a huge fan. I mean, we talked about a show once called Leverage, right? Uh, and did you ever go and watch any of Leverage at all? No. Leverage starts out with this statement, again, that I love. Uh, th there are certain, certain storylines that I'm permanently hooked on. Like if there's anything Sherlock Holmes, I love it. I have to watch everything that has anything to do even remotely with Sherlock Holmes. If it has anything to do even remotely with the Three Musketeers, I have to watch it. If it has anything even remotely related to Robin Hood, I have to watch it. And this is Robin Hood at work, okay? Leverage was basically... The rich and powerful take what they want. We steal it back for you. And in this case, the rich and powerful always take what they want in the stock market. And now all of a sudden, you've got a bunch of people who turn around and say, you know what? We're going to steal it back. <laughs> like we're going to hit them. But there's still a lot of risk in this. And of even course the there's a lot of risk. This is a great idea are saying you might stick it to the hedge funds, but you might also stick it to yourself in the process. And they want you to think that, of course, because they want to be the ones who take advantage of this. Well, anyone who was early into this has probably made a good chunk of money and cashed out. Mm -hmm. But here's the news. Melvin has already taken their multi-billion dollar hit and they've cashed out. So anyone else that is further playing in this now is not doing anything Obviously. about Melvin. Yeah. Right. So you still anyone who's now buying it at its peak is probably not going to come out well from this. And so it's still a tricky game. It's still a casino, as you say, as long as it's not a casino run by Donald Trump, the House is going to win. For some reason, he had a, tack, a, a, a way that Trump casinos managed to lose. I don't, but that's a different story. <laughs> um, that anyway, was just greed. So, hey, I open a casino in Atlantic City. And this is great. I can make lots of money on it. So I'm going to open another casino basically just down the street from it on, on Atlantic City. And I'm going to make twice as much money. And you know what? I'll buy a third casino down the road from there and make three times as much money, except for the fact that that's not how it works. How it works yeah. is that one of them is going to do better than the others and the others are going to suffer. Now, I just want to throw out a fascinating conspiracy theory about this here. Apparently, one of the hedge fund managers was short was it was doing a short squeeze on Tesla, you know, trying to hope and push for the uh, price to go down. And one of the people who pointed out that this GameStop thing was happening was one Elon Musk, which yeah. then of course forced the price even further up. 
Because, of course, if Elon sticks his head into anything and says, this is the way things are, an awful lot of people listen. So the conspiracy theory in this case is that Elon wanted to stick it to this particular hedge fund that was trying to short sell Tesla. (laughs) Elon Musk's name is probably going to come up later in this podcast for different reasons. But yeah, he was one of the people that kicked this along. Now, here's the interesting thing. This group also came up with a list of other organizations that were being heavily shorted. And so uh, GameStop might not be the last one. And what fascinated me are who the other two are. Oh, talk to me. One is Bed Bath & Beyond. Yeah, but they're not doing awful. Bed Bath & Beyond are doing okay. They're not doing awful, but like any brick and mortar retailer right now, they are hurting. And especially if they can weather COVID, they'll probably come out okay. Because there's certain things like I would I wouldn't buy betting online. I want to feel the stuff myself and look at the stuff myself. And half the time when you buy sheets, oh, this is this this strength of weave or this weave. I want to see it myself anyway. But I digress. Bed Bath and Beyond is one of them, and the other one is going to be, I think, in my own heart, kind of sweet, and that's BlackBerry. <laughs> yes, yes. And so BlackBerry now is being heavily shorted. The thing is right now, I think BlackBerry is right now about as low as it's going to go because personally, I think they're making a little bit of a comeback. Well, they, they, are, had, they are actually doing well. They've had to eat their crap sandwich because they made some bad bets when they were going to go against Apple and, and Google back in the phone thing. And they thought, oh, we can keep going with our QNX or whatever. And they had the best of intentions, but there's no way that they could take them on. Whereas what BlackBerry has done very, very well is do corporate access to mobile devices. And where they are now, I think, is in hardening Android as opposed to trying to go their own way. And now, they- there's another thing as well. You said QNX. Don't, don't write off QNX yet because QNX, believe it or not, is running in something like 175 million cars. Oh, no, no, don't get me wrong. It's, it's fantastic for embedded devices. It was just the wrong pick for mobile. For mobile, yes, but it's it's obviously found a home oh, in a very Oh no, it's doing one. it's doing very well. And as far as I understand, BlackBerry still owns QNX. And and they're located in, in, in your backyard too. That's so. right. Here, right here in Waterloo, the center of the freaking universe. Well, the center of the BlackBerry. Universe. Oh, come on, it's the center of the universe. We've got CG, the Center for International Governance and Innovation. We've got obviously BlackBerry, a whole host of tech companies reside here. We have the Institute for Quantum Computing at the University of Waterloo. We've got the Perimeter Institute for Advanced Theoretical Physics. This is the center of the freaking universe, buddy. <laughs> okay. And it just got its first streetcar line. So hey, we're good to go. <laughs> So I'm going to be fascinated to see what happens if this gang actually moves its thought process and resources over to BlackBerry and see whether or not all the organizations that have heavily shorted BlackBerry are going to get their financial assets handed to them. Frankly, I'm finding this all entertaining, especially since I don't have to put any money into it myself. So this is this is this story is not over. Well, the story is not over. And and again, here we are back at, you know, Robin Hood and sticking it to the man and all that stuff. But I have always been both fascinated and appalled by the concept of the stock market for precisely the reason that I said, which is that it does not in any way reflect reality or even the financial reality of any of the companies that it represents. It's stupid. It is, It is. as I said, it is a gambling den. Um, it, if it actually reflected the health of a company and where things were going and had something to say about value, you know, represented in the cost of something, then I might feel a little bit differently. But it's complete and utter nonsense. We're at a time where basically people are struggling absolutely everywhere. COVID-19 has hit the pocketbooks of millions of people worldwide, you know, many millions of people worldwide. As you pointed out, stores are closing, businesses are closing, restaurants are shuttering. I mean, this is not a good time. And yet the stock market is riding high. Okay, so if there was any even remote connection to the actual health of the economy in the stock market, it should be in the toilet right now. Well, I mean, there are some companies that are doing well off everyone else's misery. 
Uh, Microsoft just reported results not too long ago. They're doing swimmingly well because now that everybody's working from home, they need the bloody Microsoft software at home and the corporate and, and, and the corporate use isn't enough anymore. So you have a couple of companies that are doing very well, but absolutely, you're, you're absolutely right. The stock market has no reflection on the real health of the economy. And everyone's saying, oh, the Dow's hit a new record. Big, hairy deal. It has nothing to do with what people are doing to actually, you know, eke out a life these days, unless you're in the top whatever percent. So, and, and, and the nicest thing about this, and because of all your references, it's just so fitting. What is the trading software that all these kids are using, that all these people are using to screw over the hedge funds. What is the name of the software? Robinhood. Robinhood.com <laughs> is where people are going to be, to make the trades that are screwing over the hedge funds. Isn't that <laughs> wonderful? It is. It is. Ah. Uh... Shall we move on? Have we had enough of this? Well, okay. Back to Elon Musk. Let's go back to Elon. What you know, else Elon, did Elon, Elon, Elon Musk let, Let's face it, Elon is a bit of a strange bird. He is larger than life. You know, love him or hate him, the guy is larger than life. I do not agree with I do not agree with everything that Elon does, but I kind of kind of love Elon. Elon is my totem he, he, animal. He's a, he's a character, <laughs> and it would not take a big stretch to make him a Bond villain. <laughs> I, he's I'm the, sure he he's is. He's got the wealth for it. He's got you a layer. This... I'm sure he's got an underground layer somewhere. <laughs> in an island, under an island in the ocean, there's a layer that he operates from. Yeah. <laughs> and it's being and it's and and it's claimed to be all this new battery technology. We know it's something else. That's right, anyway, exactly. But anyway, what Elon. Else did, what else did what else did Elon Musk tell everybody that he to do a couple of weeks ago? That well, it just totally that has just totally disrupted the world of online chat. That's right. There's a little app that a few people, a few hardcore privacy open source, you know, nutcases, fringe operators and so forth have been using for a long time. You and I use it called Signal. Yeah. And then all of a sudden there was this problem. There was this thing that somebody came out and said, you know what? WhatsApp, which is owned by Facebook, it turned out, uh, said that you must share your private information with Facebook to use WhatsApp. And in fact, they've been they've been using it for the last couple of years since they made the acquisition of WhatsApp anyway. So whether you like it or not, you must do that. So people have been a little bit upset at Facebook for this. Like there's the Facebook Oculus thing, there's the Facebook WhatsApp thing. And people, you know, for a long time have claimed that they are worried about their privacy and security but no one has really done anything about it. So Elon all of a sudden decides to go into the fray here. And what does he say, Evan? You signal. I think he just <laughs> used two or three words in his tweet and that drove everyone crazy. But I'll tell you, there. I think there's more to, I think there's more to the events that led up to this uh, in the sense that uh, yes, that Facebook has been leveraging WhatsApp a lot. But I think what was happening is that they were saying, that even if you were a legacy user that once upon a time had the protection, in order to keep using WhatsApp, you'll have to consent to having Facebook share your WhatsApp information and your WhatsApp metadata and whatever with Facebook, even if you don't have a Facebook account. Right, right. And so that that was, and, and it's my understanding Facebook has actually walked back from that, but it's too late. And so all of a sudden you had Elon Musk and you had every security person in the world. I mean, Edward Snowden has been endorsing Signal forever. That wasn't enough to get a lot of people switching over, but all of a sudden people are looking at that. Okay, it's the only app that Edward Snowden uses. It's the one Elon Musk recommends. So anyone that doesn't have skin in the game is basically saying, if you want to protect yourself, here's the way to go about doing it. And, um, you know, got to the point where a couple of days ago, you and I couldn't talk because they trashed, you know, Signal servers couldn't keep up. Yeah, well, Signal has been, I mean, they've, it's been a rock solid uh, communications platform for quite a long time. And it's been growing slowly and steadily. And of course, they 
had no clue whatsoever that basically overnight they would become the go-to messaging application thanks to Elon. <laughs> and I have to say, uh, my family has moved over to Signal. Uh, so when I when I do my chats with with my kids or whatever, uh, they're so they're on Signal. It's actually been very very easy to move people over. I think a lot of people don't realize just how easy it is to move over and how much Signal actually works a lot like WhatsApp. And well, so and it does, and it, of course it does video chat, and it's got stickers and all sorts of other things that make it fun as well. You know, I have not seen a new person pop up on Signal for like ages. You know, my list of contacts in Signal has been fairly small. And of course, in the last week or so, you know, all of a sudden these names keep popping up, you know, so-and-so is on Signal, so-and-so is on Signal. It's like, wow. <laughs> yeah. And so it's, um, it's been really fun to see this. Yeah, and of course, for the people out there that might actually want to try it who don't know anything about it, it is actually a privacy-respecting um, application, and it does have end-to-end -end encryption, and you can make phone calls with it, and you can do video calls with it, and, uh, and of course, it can handle your SMS, your, your uh, text messages yep. from your cell phone as well. All you need, basically, is a cell phone. You are going to need, at the very least, a smartphone and a phone number to be able to connect to Signal. As in, you can't just download it for your tablet or something like that. Now, you can tie in your desktop, whether it's, you know, your Mac, or you can do it through your browser, but you still need that first connection via right. your phone in the and same way that WhatsApp does, actually. So for people that have access to it, uh, I've heard that one thing that a lot of people do is they get themselves a new phone number through Google Voice, which isn't available in Canada. But if you are in the States... I've got one. I I have two, but I need to re-authenticate it, which means I have to go back to the states to do so, and I can't do that because the border's closed. There, there's there's a way to do that. What you do is you get yourself a server, like you you fire up a Linode in the U.S., and then you activate from there. Okay. Now I never told anybody this. Okay, I'm not saying this, but if you set up a Linode in the U.S. and you I'm not saying this, but <laughs> and you log in from there. <laughs> now, would a regular VPN take care of that too? It doesn't anymore. It used to for some reason. It used to. They seem to have plugged that hole partly because the VPN seems to be tied to your, like the VPN still is tied to your phone number. In other words, it looks at your phone number and goes, aha, this is where you're actually coming from. So the data connection, maybe if you disconnected the data, like as if you close down the data connection on your phone, I haven't tried this. If you close down the data connection on your phone and then you use your Wi-Fi to set up a VPN connection, that might actually work. There's an idea. Somebody should try that. Not, you know, not that I'm suggesting anyone does this, of course. Well, uh, point being is even if you need, if, if there's a way that you can get a throwaway phone number, then you can do that as well. And so, true. yeah, it's considered to be one of the only downsides of Signal is that it still requires a phone number of some kind. But they say they're working on a way to do that without needing a phone number. So yeah, no, but they've been they've been saying that for a while now. The, the other, I suppose, the other downside is that Signal is not exactly a monster company. So you know, you are talking about a small team of developers. Well, it's not even really a company; it's a nonprofit. Well, I, I'm aware of that. I'm aware of that. Okay, that's it, mainly being funded by the guy who was bought out of WhatsApp. <laughs> One of the co-founders of WhatsApp took part of his Facebook payday and he used it to create Signal. We like we like that guy. I don't know who he is, but we like him anyway. Well, this isn't this is another instance of, you know, of of, you know, and here you have a nonprofit running Signal, so in other words, nobody's trying to monetize it and then and so there's already precedence of what happens when a government goes to Signal and says, "Give me your data." And and Signal willfully complies with any government with a court order. The issue is, though, they have no data to, to share. That's right. So they've so governments have gone to Signal and they say, "Give me everything you got about this person's communications." And say, "We can tell you two things: when they created the account and when and they were last logged in. That's all we can tell you." Yep. Yep. So, in other words. Yeah, they can they can respond to they can respond to every subpoena that's thrown at them because they got nothing to give. That's right. That's right. Which is which is different from the situation with another chat app called Telegram, whereas Tele Telegram does maintain the keys to be able to unlock your conversation should they want to. But 
the owner of Telegram is based in Dubai and is famous for telling governments to screw off. And so you have two very different approaches. Here's Telegram saying, well, we can unlock your metadata if we want to, but we're not gonna. And then there's signal saying, we store nothing. I think I like the signal approach better because if the guy from Telegram gets hit by a truck and control goes over to somebody else who's not willing to flip off governments, people using Telegram are in trouble. Can, can I can I throw, a, I don't know what else we were, <laughs> I think we've lost track of what we were going to cover here, but I want to talk about another, you know, privacy respecting app, so to speak, okay? Because I actually took a lot of flack for this on Facebook. Now, despite however I feel about any of these things, I use Signal, I use Telegram, I use Skype, I use Zoom, I use Facebook. Basically, I just use whatever other people are using. And so I do give somewhat of a damn about my privacy and about how some of these companies use, you know, what is personal information. But I also recognize that sometimes you got to communicate with the other people and you got to be willing to, you know, you got to be willing to bend, as they say in the song, you know, learn how to bend. Uh, that's that's the, uh, the from the theme from uh, from uh, Psych. You ever watch the show Psych? No, so I don't. Oh, it's know. fantastic! There's eight seasons of it. Uh, it was on Netflix a few years ago, and then they canceled it around season two. And I found out about uh, I don't know three four months ago that uh, Amazon Prime picked it up, and uh, we've been watching it on Prime Video. And now we're at the beginning of season five. Love that show. It's another show, by the way, that's basically um, Sherlock Holmes, uh, although it's 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 comedy. It's all comedy. It's great stuff. I I highly recommend it. Anyhow. Yeah, no, my watching has been very, very different. Uh, we, after the longest time of knowing it's been there and not watching it, are slowly catching up on Shit's Creek. Oh, it's okay. lovely. I love that. I love that show. I love it. Well, okay, here's here's the deal. You got to slog through the first two seasons where it's finding its way. After the second season, it picks up and it's absolutely delightful. But there's a little bit of a slog through the first two seasons. You know, I didn't even feel the slog. Uh, I, I like. I, I think. I think the hardest part was probably episode one and two, trying to go like, where are they going to go with this? It did not well, take long for us to be basically in love with all of the characters on this show. Well, I, I won't say all. Uh, I got to tell you, uh, to me, Chris Elliott is a high cringe factor, and so uh, there will be times where both Lauren and I have the same view on it, and we'll actually fast forward through. Okay, something. who's Chris Elliott? Which one's Chris Elliott? He's the mayor. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, this, this, you know, the cringe factor is there on purpose, though. He's purposely cringy. I know, but it's still cringy. I don't know whether it's accidental <laughs> or not. It's still, you know, um, there's this train wreck embrace, on this. Embrace, embrace the cringe. Embrace the cringe. You must. It's important. I think we have our show title, Embrace the Cringe. <laughs> I like that. Embrace the cringe. Okay, let's go with it. Okay. Okay. We are I'm gonna have we're gonna have to we're gonna have to wrap it up in about five minutes, but I want to hit on MeWe. Okay. Okay. One of, the, one of the social networks that I've been using for quite a while is MeWe. Uh, and it's uh it's 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 run by um, Mark Weinstein, I believe his name is. Um, is is the chief behind it, and one the second person is behind it is the father of the World Wide Web, uh, namely um, Vince Cerf. Oh, oh no no sorry not Vince Cerf. Um, ah, I'm yeah, drawing Vince a blank Cerf, now. Vince Vince Cerf's not in my good books these days. No, not Vince Cerf. He was on the wrong side of the dot org sale. No, it's not him. Hang on, who am I thinking of? Tim Berners Lee. Tim Berners-Lee, thank you, sir, sir, sir Tim, sir Tim. Anyway, sorry, I had I had the wrong I had the wrong people mixed up. Anyway, Tim Berners-Lee is behind it as well. Anyway, MeWe, the idea behind it is they wanted to create like a Facebook sort of social network with basically all the trappings, if you will, of Facebook. You can share pictures, videos. Uh, you can set up groups. Uh, you can you know you, you get your likes you know all the other things and so forth but the entire network is privacy respecting there are no ads there's no tracking okay there's no recommended posts anywhere in there and one of the things that I hate the most about Facebook is not there either which is this idea that 
Um, a Facebook shows you the posts that it thinks are the most important in your life. Whereas me, we, everything is sequential. Everything is by date. You know, it's so, like so to put it in context of what we've been talking about, MeWe is to Facebook what Signal is to Facebook Messenger. Correct. Correct. Except, of course, that MeWe doesn't have end-to-end -end encryption. Now, MeWe is entirely supported by users that are willing to throw like, you know, five bucks a month at it for a premium membership, which I do, by the way. I'm, I, I do that as well. But it is completely free. You do not have to pay to do it, unlike uh, things like... Uh, uh, the Wiki Foundation that tried to launch We Social, which which I which I find dreadful actually uh, to use. It's 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 ugly, it's horrible, it's unfriendly, uh, and they want lots of money for it, or at least you know they they yeah. push for lots of money for it. MeWe is like the perfect replacement for Facebook. I got into a kind of weird fight with a friend of mine because he um, now we're we're still friends by the way, so I just want to make that clear right off the bat. But he was arguing that. You know, alt-right groups and far-right groups have been flocking to MeWe, you know, because of uh, because they're being, you know, knocked down on places like Facebook and so forth. And that is one of those arguments that he's read, and I think he read it on Rolling Stone and one other magazine place. But the thing that he, the thing that I did not like about that argument, or the reason that I was that I was bitching about it, is there is no, like, it is not a far-right site. Okay, and people will gather and talk about these things, and MeWe will take down posts that violate community guidelines if they if they incite hate or they incite violence and so forth. But there is no there is nothing that says that you can't talk about a specific thing on the site. But there's another important <clears throat> difference which you just referred to a moment ago. It's algorithms of what to show you, and I think that is critical. Bingo, Facebook bingo. Is designed, Facebook is designed to keep you on Facebook. So it's going to still go stuff that reinforces your bubble. It's going to do stuff that, you know, confirmation bias. It's going to get into that. And it's going to calculate stuff that's going to get you angry, that's going to get you agitated, that's going to keep you on there. And if MeWe isn't doing that stuff, if it's just benignly saying, we're going to feed you stuff in, in the order it's presented based on what you wanted, not based on what we're going to give you to keep you here and keep you in your own little close circle of mental thought. Um, to me, that's a big, big difference between. The it two. is a huge difference. And in fact, my friend said, well, the fact that they allow any of these people on there. And of course, I went so far as to point out, I did like a five minute search on Facebook groups after Facebook supposedly shut down all these groups. And I can literally find hundreds and hundreds of groups in five minutes that are still alt-right groups, that are still climate change deniers, anti-vax groups and stuff oh, like that. Yeah. And he said, well, at least Facebook is trying. It's like they're not trying a goddamn thing. Oh, Their algorithm has continually been pushing. So he's bought, if you'll pardon the expression, he's drunk the Kool-Aid that these companies, which created the goddamn problem in the first place, are and doing profit something from it. about and it profit now. From it. What's that, sorry? And profit from this problem. They profit from the problem. They created it. Their algorithms reinforce these things. And not only that, they recommend it to you so that you do see this crazy, you know, weird ass shit stuff, whether you want to or not. So all of a sudden, you've got an organization that is actually trying to do the right thing. You know, a company that's trying to do the right thing. And because they're not a big, huge company, like he pointed out, he said, well, they don't have the staff that Facebook has to deal with these things. And it's like, but Facebook does have the staff and the money and the energy and they don't. <laughs> yeah. And so I, it's going to be harder to get people to migrate from Facebook to MeWe than it is to get people to go from WhatsApp to Zoom if uh, to, to Signal, mainly because uh, it, it, it's a whole different thing, right? I mean... People are on Facebook because everyone they know is there. That's and right. Network effect is going to be really, really hard to duplicate. I mean, I'm there. I, I wish them well. Uh, I may even contribute money to it. Uh, I, most of my co contributions lately have been to Wikipedia and to a couple of Patreon people who need to be supported. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I mean, I, I, I do the same you know, thing. I'll, I'll, I'll see you all on MeWe if you want to go there. And, and uh, Marcel and I will be happy to. And, and forward, just, just for the record, I mean, the interesting thing, of course, is you only see the stuff that you want to see because there isn't this recommendation algorithm. And you only see the stuff from your contacts 
Okay, so it's only people that you actually want to follow, that you actually want to, you know, friend on there. And of course, any groups that are on there, you don't have to join any groups. Like you only, you only take part in the groups that you want to take part in. So let's see what we can do to, to play our little part to, to boost MeWe. I'm still not sure of what its chances of success are, but uh, we are in violent agreement that this is a good idea that needs <laughs> to be supported as much as it can. And I think on that note of violent agreement, maybe we need to wrap up. Yeah, we should wrap up because I got to go and make lunch for the family and all that stuff. But hey, if you want to check out something on your list of things to watch, all right, check out a few episodes of Psych. Um, let me give you the premise in a nutshell, okay? The premise in a nutshell is that you've got a guy who is, and, like, and I say that it's Sherlock Holmes because it's the, somebody who's got like in, insane powers of observation, basically except that he wants to do some work with the police department as a consultant, but of course they don't want him. So he pretends that he's a psychic, that all of these, in, in like all of these great observations that he makes, this ability to pick out clues and so forth are because he's picking up psychic signals from, from the ether and he, and he plays it to comic genius. Like it's absolutely wonderful. And of course he's got his Watson alongside Highly recommend it. There's a pineapple in every episode. Okay. You got to find the pineapple. It's one of those one, things. One of my favorite all-time shows is The Mentalist, where a guy is just really, really smart, and everyone thinks he's psychic simply because he's really observant. So that kind of thing yanks my chain. I got to say, though, I mean, my, my, my viewing habits have been much more conventional. I've been really pigging out on the new season six of Animaniacs. And they ah. have done such a wonderful job keeping the spirit of the original one. And so anyone who hasn't seen, who hasn't seen Animaniacs, uh, unfortunately, I think it's on Hulu. But if you know what you're doing, you know how to, how to get it elsewhere. I, that's as far as I'm going. I'm not getting All right. like you do. All uh, right. Okay. So, so we each have a recommendation then for, for TV show watching. And uh, with that, bon appétit. And... Uh, I'll see you later. See you soon. Bye, Evan. Bye. Hi, this is Marcel after the show. If you like what Evan and I are doing here, there are many ways that you can help support the podcast. The most important and easiest of them all is just to tell your friends, family, dog, cat, goldfish, enemies. Just tell everybody about the podcast and have them listen as well. You can also review it on Anchor.fm or Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you happen to listen to podcasts. If you have a blog, you can blog about it. If you have your own podcast, hey, that would be cool. If you have your own podcast, you could actually talk about our podcast in your podcast. If you're going to do that, by the way, you should let us know because, hey, we'd like to listen too. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.